to go on, and it was stopped. Red lights everywhere, and he was looking at that, and as he looked, there was people standing up on the bumpers looking ahead, trying to figure out what is going on. Of course, he had an advantage from his vantage point, looked ahead to see what was going on, and far in the distance, there were the emergency vehicles, red lights going in all over the place, and then he let out a sigh of relief. He saw that the traffic was already breaking up and they were letting the traffic go through and there was space up ahead. And so he got off the plane, got in his car, unconcerned, and came to the tail end of what seemed like a parking lot with everybody stopped, people still on the bumpers trying to figure things out. And they were so frustrated and he was not. He was unconcerned because he had a perspective that nobody else had. And he knew that in just a few moments, they would be all traveling freely. Oh, that life would be more like this man's life. We at street level, when we're going through life as we see it, frequently hit the stop, the frustration, the confusion, the irritation, Our lives are blocked, they're halted, they're frustrating, they're not going the way we want them to go, and we don't understand why we are on a highway and it's a parking lot. And so we, in a a street-level situation, our lives get jammed up, and we don't have a perspective that is able to see beyond what we can see at street level. And so we wonder... Why are there so many barriers in our way? Why doesn't God do something? Why did he let this happen? If God really does exist and if God really loves us, why doesn't he help us right now? And we're not talking about a traffic jam. We're talking about when our life gets jammed with all kinds of problems, heartaches, suffering that we don't, understand. Why does he let so much pain take place? If he's all-powerful and all-loving, why doesn't he do something? When it happens to me, those aren't my questions. When it happens to you, maybe those aren't your questions. When it happens to me, it's more like, oh man, this is another bummer. And it happens to me frequently where I have to choose what I'm going to focus on. Am I going to focus on the darkness of what I don't know and the fears that creep in and fill in the blanks as to what's going to happen as this new challenge, this new darkness has hit me? Or am I going to focus on the one who can see right through my darkness to what he has planned for me and it's good? I find a struggle right there so frequently, do you? It's like I often fail right in the moment or even for days to see past the tangle to how God is going to untangle it or past the pain to how, oh, now I see what God is allowing me to get from this and I struggle. We're going to enter into a story that's one of my favorites in John chapter 11 and it's one of my favorites from the time I was a teenager reading a chapter that just leapt off the page and came alive for me. It was so real that I knew that this was a true story. And God is good. 
But how easy it is to forget that how God worked in somebody else's story is how he's working in my story right now. And so we need to look at how our street-level perspective is so inadequate. What we need is God's perspective. Amen, let's pray, let's go home. You wanna hear more? All right, well let's jump right in. Point number one is this, God's perspective is often puzzling. Let's just admit it. God's perspective is often puzzling. Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. I mean, that's such an obvious statement, but every time we don't understand something, we, we just like get mad at God as if it doesn't make sense. It's like we're not the standard of what makes sense just because we don't understand it. He has able to see way beyond what we can see and how all the pieces fit together. And just because we don't see it doesn't mean he's, he's illogical or he's not good. Just because we don't understand it, we still need God's perspective. Maybe we don't get the details like we want it right now. But can we learn that God's perspective is better than ours? Can we at least learn that? Although it's puzzling, very puzzling. In John 11, 1 through 4, we read this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Which is funny to me that John tells that to us now because he's going to tell us about it in the next chapter. It's kind of like preview. All right. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Man, it's like economy of words. What is this, telegram? But he's, that's all they said. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. All right, so... What we just read there is a puzzling statement, but it's a declaration. And from my perspective, that declaration is the main point of the whole chapter. But that's not all. Okay, before I, I, mean, I just said it's the main point of the whole chapter, let's look again. What did you say? No, this, this event, this thing that they don't get, this thing that is unresolved, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So that's the main point of this chapter, but guess what? It's the main point of every chapter that each of us is living in right now in our life story. The main point of the chapter, even if we don't get it. Why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen? I don't get it. This thing's so dark. I wish that it would go away. Can you just do a miracle for me? Why aren't you answering my prayer? I pray and pray and pray and it's not happening the main point of our chapter, even if we don't understand it, is are we going to honor God in this chapter? Are we? It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Question. When life gets jammed up, can we honor God at street level? 
even when we can't see God's perspective. Isn't that where the rub is? Every time we are struggling like this, we can't yet see God's perspective. And so we're all jammed up, our hearts are all kind of tangled, our faith is kind of struggling, and we're choosing to worry, we're choosing stress, we're choosing not to rejoice, we're choosing perhaps not to worship, we're struggling in it, maybe even accusing God, wondering why he isn't coming, like we're asking, don't you love us? And we don't understand. Jesus saw right through what looked like a terrible thing at street level because he knew his father's good purpose for it. Now, I believe, doesn't say any of this here, but I believe, although Jesus was God from eternity past, he came down as a man, so he has to deal with every situation the way a man can deal with a situation, but he has the advantage of being fully anointed by the Spirit and no sin and in perfect communion with his Father, so his Father through the Spirit reveals to him his perspective. Now that happens to me too, on occasion. (laughs) Not all the time like it does for Jesus, and then I get God's perspective on a situation, and it's very helpful. He sees right through the darkness and is not concerned. He knows what this is all about, and that's where he's coming from. Now let's take a look at the next puzzling statement, starting at verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Does that sound like love on the street level? On the street level, that sounds really weird. All right, so he's sick, and you want me to come, and... Because I love you, I'm not. I'm going to delay. It only makes sense once you have the Father's perspective on what's happening. It doesn't make sense at a street-level perspective on what Mary and Martha want. Do they get what they want? No. They get a delay, but they're going to get something better than what they want. And Jesus knows this. So this is really wild stuff that we're walking through. God's delays. Now, before I finish that statement, how many of you have been frustrated when God is delaying in an answer to your prayer? (laughs) All right? Okay. God's delays are delays of love. We just don't know his perspective yet. He sees a bigger, better picture than we can see at street level. Does it feel like love yet? No. Is it love? Yes. Did Mary and Martha feel loved? No. He didn't show up. And Lazarus died. Oops, spoiler. Okay. <clears throat> so let's see the next puzzling statement. John 11, 11 through 15. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. (laughs) Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, 
Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad. (laughs) Did you just say that? Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. So Jesus knows what he's about, knows what the Father's about, knows what is going to take place. Nobody else knows. They are not seeing God's perspective. And some of these statements that are coming across are incredibly puzzling to everybody. Almost sounds cruel, but it isn't. God is working out his bigger, better chapter for their lives. And by the way, I'm so glad that he did because this chapter... It's what we need to see a bigger, better plan in our chapter as well. This chapter makes a difference for every chapter, as we shall see. We want Jesus to fix things now, right? I mean, that's how we want it. We can't cook our food fast enough. We invent things to cook it faster. What's coming next? Right. We want it now. We're like toddlers throwing a tantrum. And we're really mad at how stupid our parents are. You know what I want now. But our parents are actually smarter than the toddler. And they actually know better what's a bigger and better gift than the thing that you want right now and yet we don't see it. And stories and passages, and this is not just a story, this is history, which is his story, and this helps us to see that we're too small to know how he thinks. We're too small to put it all together and that he can really make this thing that we think there's no possible way you can fix this now. You've ruined it. I can't trust you. We're too small to figure out that actually you're not seeing it the way I see it. You're thinking too small. I've got something so much bigger and better. And I'm willing to let you to go through this little bit of pain to experience that glory that's way, way, way beyond that little bit of pain. It's a hard perspective for us to get hold of. So Jesus finally arrives at Bethany And there's some more puzzling statements. Starting at 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And that's a huge statement. She believes it, but like her emotions are not caught up with that. Her emotions are still really disappointed in Jesus. I know, he's gonna rise later, but we're really hurting now, and you could have done something about this, and you just, I don't understand. I don't understand. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about the distant future someday when he said, Lazarus (laughs) will rise again. But before he does what he knows he's going to do, he declares himself. Verse 25. And here's our statement title for the day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Will you believe this? Or do you believe this? Now, if you're like me, I mean, you blow through these verses and you get right to the, cut to the chase, you see him resurrect Lazarus from the dead and you go, wow, that's pretty incredible, but you, you didn't ponder long enough on these verses to even know what they're saying. In fact, if you start to ponder, it goes, huh? It's really wild what he's saying right here because his first claim is, I am the resurrection in this life. Then there's two puzzling statements to explain what that means that follow. So three statements, all of them puzzling. The first one is the major statement about who he is. The second statement is the one that just uh, is an explaining statement, and the next one after that. So there's one and two explaining statements. But take a look at these explaining statements, and they're kind of confusing because puzzling explanation number one says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and then the next puzzling explanation explaining statement says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So which is it, Jesus? Even though they die, like we're all going to die, or they will never die? It, it just like throws you, doesn't it? So, even though we die, or we will never die? So kind of like this puzzle. Which is it? Now, to unlock how this all fits together so well and perfectly, you have to understand God's understanding of what death is. Because what God understands death to be is not our perspective of what death is. We, in our culture in particular, only see death as the cessation of life, and it's over. But God is very clear that is not a very good definition of death. So the first statement is about physical death. Even though you die, you will live. Even though you die is about physical death. And then the second statement, you will never die, is about spiritual death. And then we've got to figure out how that fits together. Now before I move on and explain how that fits together... Just understand this, that death from God's vantage point is separation. When sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, there was immediately death. The separation of Adam and Eve in their intimate walking, talking, conversation with God relationship was separated into a more distant relationship as they're cast out of the garden. Spiritually, they died. They're physically still alive, but death entered into the world spiritually, and death is going to be their result physically as a result of this spiritual demise. But from Adam and Eve on, because of this sin that separates us and from God, has broken this union that he has made us for, and this broken union is a spiritual death that literally, spiritually speaking, we are now walking alive physically, but dead spiritually. We are not who we were made to be. We are shells of who God designed us to be when we were just physically alive and spiritually dead. And that's the condition of all of us until we're made spiritually alive by believing in Jesus and then taking care of our sins by dying on the cross and 
resurrecting from the dead, he conquers spiritual and physical death for us. He's able to then place within us his life, his resurrection life, his powerful actual life through his Holy Spirit dwelling in us once our sins are atoned for. And so as you're reading this, you go, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Why? Because they believe in me. Talking about physical death. And whoever lives by believing in me, now we're talking about spiritual life, whoever lives by believing in me, that's how we now are really alive, will never die spiritually. We will never be separated from God. It all fits I am the resurrection, the first line. I am the life, the second line. And it's both Jesus' victory over death. Now, side note. I don't know if I have time for the side note. Ah. When you have God's perspective, remember King David? King David, before he was king, was a little teenager. He was just a shepherd king. And he watches his brothers at a war and there's this big giant named Goliath that's just challenging their God and challenging their armies. And David has a different perspective. He's been walking with God. He's fought bears. He knows that he's not that good. God helps him conquer whatever he needs to conquer with the help of God. He sees this bigger bear called Goliath and he has a bigger perspective. Who is this Philistine giant to challenge our God? And he decides to pick up a sling and stones and kills the giant. Guess who is the son of David? Well, not the immediate son, but he's called the son of David. He's the Christ who was coming. The Christ who was coming, the son of David, came to kill the giant. And this giant is death. And he did it. He conquers sin and death and destroys what has come between us and God by his coming. Praise be the son of David, the son of God. Aren't you glad we took that little detour? I may not be glad later, but I'm glad. We sang about that in the song earlier today, by the way, that he kills the giant death. Jesus in two places in the Gospels said, we're using in one sentence both definitions of death. When a guy came up to him and said, I want to follow you, and he says, okay, follow me. And the guy says, yeah, but first I need to go home and bury my father. You need to understand something, his dad is not dead. He is doing the Jewish firstborn thing. He says, I have responsibilities as a firstborn. I've got to wait till my dad dies, and I have to see to the affair, uh, all the affairs, and bury him. That's my responsibility. After that takes place, then I'll come and follow you. Oh, and by the way, after that takes place, I receive all my inheritance. Then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus says, no. Let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. He used both definitions in one sentence. Let the living dead bury the physical dead. If you want to be alive, come follow me. That's how we become uh, physically alive, truly, spiritually alive before God, where we're redeemed back into our created purpose. So point number one, God's perspective is often puzzling. Point number two is, God's perspective is always trustworthy. Now, 
I want you to finish this statement. You have all the help you need up on the screen to finish this statement. God's perspective is often puzzling, but... Okay, some of you are catching on. Let's try that again. God's perspective is often puzzling, but... Yeah. You may not understand it yet, but just because you don't understand it doesn't make it true. God's perspective is often puzzling. So I don't know what you're going through today, and it's really tough for you to walk through this trusting God in the middle of it, but his perspective is that he is going to walk with you through this, and you're going to see glory in it, and you're going to be able to bring glory to the Father and honor the Son, Jesus Christ, if you'll take the hand of the one who sees right through your darkness and you can't see through it, and he has a perspective of what he's about. It's puzzling, but you can trust him. Will you trust him enough to take the hand of the one who is the keeper of tomorrow? He sees right around the corner that you can't see around. He sees right through the darkness. Everything is darkness to you. He's light. There's no darkness to him. Can you trust him? Walk with him. That's what we're about. Now, don't just take my word for it. Jesus himself is declaring himself and he's giving his word for it. But here's the thing. He's not asking you to just take his word for it, even though you should. He didn't come to earth to only talk about who he is. And then we just listen to what he said and decide whether we trust him or not. He didn't just come to talk about it. He came to show us that he is trustworthy. And so the very next thing he does is he substantiates this huge claim and these huge statements, three of them, the two that explain the first, by doing something that isn't only God can do, okay, to substantiate that you, you need to trust what I'm saying here. And so we read in verse 39, after he meets with Mary, he goes down to the tomb site, and there's huge crowds following, and he says, take away this stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I happen to, well, let me just ask a question. Do you think, because he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, do you think that when they opened the tomb, that it stunk? We can't prove it. But he's been dead four days. I happen to believe, yes, it stunk. I happen to believe that the reason why Jesus delayed that long is to make sure that there was no excuse for those who got close enough to want to know that he really was dead. And then, we have to kind of imagine the scene. I'll let you read it for yourself as we can't take all the time. He says, roll away the stone. And the next thing he says is, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now you're looking into a dark hole. The light doesn't reach to where probably the ledge is, where Lazarus was laying on the ledge of the stone. 
And then you hear this gasp because you can barely see something's moving. That's not in the text, okay? All right? And then as they're looking, this thing that's moving is making, wriggling its way off that stone ledge and very awkwardly coming closer and closer to the opening. So you start to see the light of the opening kind of shine from the feet up as it gets closer and closer and closer, awkwardly making his way. And then when he's fully lit, you see standing there a mummy. And it's Lazarus. And then Jesus says, go, go. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. And all of a sudden, Mary and Martha are running to him and taking off the grave clothes and getting, letting him free from the stench of death. And this thing is now no longer a funeral. It has changed into a party. The thing that was mourning is now changed to dancing and they're jumping up and down and thrilled and everybody else's jaws just... And then pretty soon the, the party get, begins and it's getting bigger and bigger and then people bring word to the Pharisees later on. Not everybody believes what they see. We say seeing is believing. There was somebody there who saw, who didn't believe, who reports to the Pharisees. And you know what their response is? Their response is, now we got to kill him. Because if we don't kill him, everybody's going to follow him. So you've heard, as I'm describing, his claim, his substantiation of that claim, the huge party that takes off, Probably the person that's the least sad in that whole audience is Lazarus. What? I'm back? Because he's got to go through it all over again. That was bad enough the first time. And yes, he will die again, but not spiritually. Why is it that even now, when somebody is struggling and they're dying, our first thing is the Mary and Martha thing, Jesus, heal, Jesus, heal. We probably need to set our sights beyond that and why do we get mad if he doesn't? This chapter, you miss the point if you think the point is he did it for Lazarus so he'll do it for me. That is not the point. The point of this chapter is He's given us the proof that death is the result of the fall and he's the victor who has redeemed us and we will never die. We might go through physical death, but once we are united with Jesus Christ, we will never die. We're told in scripture very clearly that the moment that I leave my body, which is physical death, separation, I'm immediately in the presence of the Lord and awaiting when I will be resurrected in the last day, as Martha was saying, with a new spiritual body to live in an imperishable, immortal, remade earth and heaven where the two are united. Glory be. And the martyrs in heaven are, can't wait. They have a little conversation with God where Revelation says, how long, Lord, how long? as they wait 
for their martyrdoms to be vindicated and justice prevail. And then to receive their immortal, imperishable bodies and live in the glory as they've heard his word described. All of that is coming, but will you trust him? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So the question comes right back to us. Can I have the prayer team go ahead and get ready to go to the prayer area to pray for us? I'm going to direct our prayer time a little bit um, in, in this way. I've already hinted at it. Every one of us, whether it's today or we're still waiting for one of our down days where we have a puzzle and it's dark and we don't know the outcome, we need to decide in our prayer, do I trust God enough to take his hand? when he knows and I don't know. Would you just bow your heads and in a sense, in your own mind, in your own prayer, with whatever you're going through, would you declare an answer to this question? Do you believe this? Lord God, I, I believe many of us in this room do believe that you sent your son t- to give glory to his name, to win this victory, to redeem the world. We want to believe with greater clarity, greater power, greater experience. We want to declare that we trust you in the middle of darkness when we can't see ahead in life's traffic jams. We hold your hand, our God, keeper of tomorrow. Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, lead us. We trust you. Holy Spirit, give us the power and your character and the ability to honor you even when it's still dark to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week for I am the way, the truth, and the life. God bless.